Hey everyone, this is Matt with the start of a brand new series on happiness. Why happiness? Because happiness is one of the hardest things to find in the past few years. According to a study done last year of 12,000 people, 50% of them have not felt true happiness since before the COVID pandemic started. COVID destroyed happiness across the globe unlike anything else ever. Or rather, maybe it wasn't COVID, but our response to it, our dumb response. Over 25% of people have forgotten what it means to be happy. 80% of people are willing to pay almost anything for true happiness. Happiness right now is at a premium. People desperately want it, but they don't know how to get it. They thought it would be in buying stuff, but more than half of the people who did that, according to that happiness survey, weren't the slightest bit happy. They even forgot why they bought it. People are trying new things, but that doesn't seem to be working either. People are desperate. So what can we do? I want to be happy. I'm sure you do too. So what can we do to achieve this? Because to be honest, living life miserably is not a good way to live. So how do we achieve happiness? Well, here's some laws about happiness that can start us on our journey to it. Number one, don't look for happiness, create it. Happiness is not something you look for, it's something you create, and it's your choice. You're as happy as you choose to be. Second, happiness is not a goal, it's actually the result. And that's key. It's the result of right thinking, right living, right acting. It's the byproduct. If you make happiness the goal of your life, you're going to live a very self-centered life. And that's going to end up making you miserable. Making happiness the goal will guarantee that you're never going to be happy. Happiness is never the goal. It's actually, it's, it is always the result. It's the byproduct of something else. So if you make it your goal... You're going to be miserable, and I think that's a mistake that a lot of us make. Third law, my habits create my happiness. Happiness is a choice. We shape our habits, and they shape us. And you can create the habits of happiness in your life. Fourth law, happiness is based on happenings is temporary. But happiness built on habits is long-lasting. So you go on vacation. You're happy. You're having a great time. You get back and you realize how much money you spent. You're not happy anymore. I have happiness when I go see a movie. Everybody's telling me it's great, but then it's not so great. It doesn't live up to the hype. I come out not happy, disappointed. Anything where you base your happiness on a happening or on a circumstance or on an occasion, as soon as the occasion is over, guess what? You lose your happiness. So you don't want that. Happiness based on happiness or situations is short-term. It's temporary. Happiness based on habits is long-term. You'll be happy the rest of your life. Fifth law, happy habits are addicting as bad habits, but they're a whole lot more rewarding. They aren't the negatives. Bad habits take time to develop. You don't develop them overnight, and the same thing is with good habits. You don't develop them quickly either. But happiness and habits of happiness can be developed so they can become habitual in your life. So we're beginning this new series on ha happiness habits. 
because I believe that's where happiness comes from. And what we're going to do is we're going to go through the book of Philippians in the Bible, looking at the habits of happiness in the Bible. Philippians is my favorite book in the Bible because it is so cheerful and joyful. And so much in this world is misery and grumbling and complaining. We need a little brightness, a little joy, a little gladness in our lives. And those words, along with the word enjoy, rejoice, and happy, are used in various forms 17 times in this very short book of Philippians. It's the happiest book in the Bible. It was written by Paul. But what's amazing about the happiest book in the Bible, it was written while he was in prison, which means your happiness cannot be based on your happenings or occasions. And actually what this book is, is a thank you note. Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, which is a city in Greece that he started. He planted the church there, and he's now in prison in Rome, and he's writing to thank them. And he's thanking them for the financial gifts that they've, they've given him. He's thanking them for their prayers, their support, and their love, all these things. And it's actually the most personal book in the Bible. So if you want to be happy, where do you start? Now, what would you start with? Money? Sex? Time? What would you start with? You say, we need to learn how to be really happy in life. What does Paul start with in Philippians? He starts with relationships. See, it's impossible to be happy while your relationships are unhappy. Can you agree with that? You can meet all kinds of people, and they have all kinds of money, all kinds of fame, and every kind of pleasure you can imagine. But if they're in the middle of a divorce, they're not happy. See, if your relationships are unhappy, your life is going to be unhappy. You know that terrible phrase, happy wife, happy life. It's kind of annoying to me for various reasons, which I'm not going to get into. But there's an underlying sense there that if your relationship isn't in a good state, you're not going to be happy. So Paul, when he starts talking about and modeling happiness habits, he begins right off the bat with the first 11 verses in Philippians chapter 1 talking about healthy relationships. So we're, that's where we're going to start as well. Philippians chapter 1 verse 1 says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with overseers and deacons. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And in that passage, just those first few 11 verses, Paul tells us four things about his relationship with the Philippians. And he tells us that they are models in his life. And these four models, four relational habits, that if you will just practice them, then your relationships will be much more enjoyable and your happiness will be greater as a result. And they're easy to explain. They're simple to understand, but they are incredibly hard to do. 
Because when I tell you these, you're going, oh, yeah, 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 I know these. But you don't do it. So we need to be told again and again and again because we forget or we don't put any emphasis on it because we need to practice them. And, but I guarantee you, if you will do these four relational habits that you will build into your life, your relationships will be transformed. And as a result of that, you will achieve happiness. The first habit that Paul says is this. I must be grateful for the people in my life. Study after study after study links gratitude to happiness. It's been proven over and over by psychologists, sociologists, and others that are the more grateful you are, the more happy you are. The more ungrateful you are, the more unhappy you are. If you want to have good relationships, you start with the attitude of gratitude. You'll be far happier and you will enjoy your relationships more if you will develop the habits of being grateful for the people in your life. The habits of being grateful in your life are more important than you imagine. Philippians 1.3, Paul starts off with this. He says, every time I think of you, remember, he's in Rome. They're in a city called Philippi. He goes, I, I give thanks to my God. Paul says, I remember the good things about you and I focus on the good times we had. And that simple truth right there is the source of good relationships. When marriages stop doing this, they crumble. When you stop remembering when you, why you got married in the first place, what attracted you to that person, when you stop remembering the good times and all you think about is of the bad times, your marriage is already on a long side into oblivion. Paul says, every time I think of you, I give thanks to God for you. So look at your relationships. What is the first thing you think of? Do you think I give thanks to God for you? Because I guarantee you, your relationship is going to be great if you do that. When you think of people in your life, do you automatically think that way? Not usually. In my life, the only way I think about that is my wife. Because I believe she's so much better for me than I am for her. And so it's, it's easy for me to think that way. But other relationships, not so much. My kids, uh-uh. <laughs> it's what do they do for me? Are they late? Are they in a hurry? What's not right? What do we have a problem with? What do we have to get done? Maybe the first thought isn't gratitude. And Paul says, when I think of you, first thing I do is give gratitude. I'm grateful for who you are and what you've done. Now, here's the problem with this. The problem with this is that the longer you know someone, the more you take them for granted. The more you focus on their faults, the easier it is to remember bad times. And I don't know why it is, but it's always easier to remember bad times than happy times. Paul says, every time I think of you, I give thanks. If you would just develop this habit whenever you, you think of the people in your life, your friends, your neighbors, your husband, your wife, your kids, your relatives, it's going to change your relationships. That's a habit you have to develop. It does not come naturally. We are by nature ungrateful people. We are by nature discontented people. We are by nature always wanting more, wanting things to be different. In Philippians 1.5, Paul says again, I thank God for the help that you gave me. Now, if you know the story of, the, of this church, he started there. There was a woman named Lydia who was a businesswoman who opened up her home. And he says, from the very first day you welcomed us and you helped us that very first day. And several times... In Paul's travels to the Philippian church was funding Paul's missionary journeys. And in this particular incident, they sent a man named Epaphroditus all the way to Rome to bring a financial gift because Paul was in Rome by himself in prison and he needed money. 
Paul sent him back with this thank you note to the people in Philippi. And he says, I thank God for the help you gave me. Now, I just wonder, what is it you've forgotten that other people have done for you? Again, the longer you know somebody, the more you take it for granted. That's why we don't treat our parents the best way or our grandparents. Because we forget because we've known them for a long time. And all we think about is the bad times, not the good. The more you look for their faults, the more easier it is to remember the bad things. The truth is about Paul and Philippi, he didn't have a good time. In fact, it was one of the roughest churches to ever get started. But you don't get any of that in this letter. The fact is, when Paul went to the city to start a church, he was beaten. He was whipped. He was humiliated. He was humiliated. He was falsely arrested. He was thrown into prison. He went through an earthquake. And then he was politely asked by the city leaders to leave town. <laughs> then Paul writes, when I think of you, I thank God for you. <laughs> What's he doing? He is choosing selective memory. This was not a happy place. It's not all sunshine and candy. There was a lot of bad stuff that happened, but Paul chose not to dwell on painful memories. Are you still living some painful memories with people in your life? You ever left them off the hook? You can't enjoy the relationship because you're still holding on to the past. Memories are a choice. I read this on the internet with two wives talking about their husbands. One of the wives said to the other wife, don't you remember that your time when your husband did that? And she said, I distinctly remember forgetting that. It's <laughs> a great line. That's a choice. It's not denying what he did. He says, I forgot that. Uh, you know, I have no memory of that. Your memories are a choice. If you want to hold on to your painful memories, go right ahead. But guess what's going to happen? You're not going to be happy. Paul had a lot of reasons to have painful memories of Philippi. It wasn't a happy time. Everything that happened there, beaten, maligned, all those things. But he says, every time I think of you, I'm, I thank God for you. He's choosing to be grateful for the people in his life. Now, one of the hardest relationships for me to do this with is my kids. My children, I know that if I practice selective memory, I can much easier be grateful for them. And just yesterday, my kids were driving me crazy. You know, this is probably a daily occurrence and probably I drive them crazy as well because I know my parents did that to me and I did it to them. Now, all three kids are home as during the summer, two of them were at summer camp working. So I really did not get to experience them all summer. But in this last week, right before school, they're all home and it was, an interesting week, but now they're back at school, so woohoo! Anyway, so now they grew up over the summer. They're much more independent even than just three months ago because they both started working, not just the older one, but the middle one as well. And they've started preparing their own meals, cooking what they like instead of asking mom or dad to make them food, even dinner sometimes. So last night, Adriana made her brother and sister dinner. Now, this is pretty cool. But instead of being grateful for it, I had to harp on one of the greatest things that kids never seem to learn, how to put stuff back. Do your kids put stuff back? Because if you have a secret, let me know. Now imagine now I, I have three aspiring little chefs preparing breakfast as well as lunch by themselves. So that means six preparatory times they use the kitchen. Now for me, I cook eggs every morning for breakfast. I cook, I put everything away before anyone else uses the kitchen, but my kids, not so much. They don't learn from modeling in this case. After breakfast, my kitchen is a war zone. If I don't 
try to clean it in some way, it becomes way worse over lunch. So, you had, so yesterday, as I come down, I moved the oven mitts five times before two o'clock. Yes, I counted. Yes, I'm being ridiculous. And yes, it was annoying. And yes, I grumbled and complained. And yes, my wife was like, what is wrong with you? And yes, I wasn't feeling very happy. And if you're wondering, they use them not just to pick stuff up, but for so many other reasons, you're going to be surprised at. So I'm just going to say they use them a lot. So they're constantly all over the kitchen, just like in the just like the kitchen shears, because they're the only pair of scissors in the house that is always in one place because mom, the mom and I always put them back, which makes them a magnet for kids to take them and put them somewhere else and not put them back. In addition to it that day, I washed measuring cups five times and we have three measuring cups. So I'd wash three for breakfast and two for lunch. And I'm by no means a clean freak. In fact, my house is usually a little messy because I don't like to clean it. So at dinner, after I've been dealing with this mess all day, my daughter offers to make dinner and she told me what she wanted to make. But I had to, of course, I had to take some ingredients out of the freezer because she didn't know that she had to do that. And one of the ingredients in the fridge was a little past the sell-by date, so I had to confirm whether it was okay or not. And she was using the counter tops with some pre-made dough with flour. And I said, you gotta clean it. She said she would, so I watched her. Take a soap, don't put any soap on it, and wipe down the countertops with just a little bit of water. I'm thinking, that did nothing. And she goes out to grab the food, and I said, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not clean. So uh, as a typical parent, I took over and cleaned the counter so she could actually use it. I put soap on the sponge. I scrubbed it. There was so much gunk on the countertop. I'm thinking, oh my goodness. She just shook it off like no big deal. And I'm trying to teach her the whole time how to clean with soap and water, not just water. Not just the residual soap that may be on the sponge. Which if it was there, I didn't see it. <sighs> was I happy yesterday doing all this stuff? Not really. Why? I wasn't happy because I choose to focus on the negative things my kids do instead of being thankful for the positive things. I mean, I didn't have to make them dinner. That's good, right? Of course it is. They make messes, right? But that's just part of growing up. We all make messes. I just need to teach them. How many messes have I made in my life that other people have had to clean up? How many times have God been patient with me learning new things? My kids aren't perfect, far from it, and neither am I. But I know that Jesus died for me on a cross, and when I was a mess, he cleaned me up, and he forgave me of everything I've done, past, present, and future. And I'm still learning. I'm a child of God, which means I make a lot of messes. Think about yourself. You may be an adult, but you are still a child of God. And you don't clean up after yourself. I guarantee you that God has cleaned up more messes after you than you have even realized. But God doesn't yell. He doesn't get upset. He doesn't punish you. He just loves you. And if I want to be grateful in my relationship with my three teenagers, I need to do it just like God does with me. Not dwelling on the bad, but on the good. I should have been ecstatic that my daughter was cooking dinner for her siblings, trying a recipe that was not just cut and paste, but rather having to make dough and roll it out and add flour and all kinds of stuff. Should have been happy about that. Instead, I harped on the counters not being clean, other miscellaneous ridiculousness that took away the happiness in the relationship. Now, throughout this series, I'm going to drop, drop little hints of happiness. So here's the first one. So if you forget everything else I said, other than I yelled at my kids, 
Remember this. Remember the best, forget the rest. Remember the best, forget the rest. If you want to be happy in relationships, remember the best and forget the rest. Develop selective memory. Don't be a file cabinet or Google where you can pull up anything that has ever existed previously. So be grateful for the people in your life. This is the first habit, being grateful. And the key to being grateful is to remember the best and forget the rest. No relationship is perfect. But if you want to be happy in those relationships, remember the best and forget the rest. And hopefully I've said it enough times that you will remember it. Well, I hope you enjoyed our first podcast on our happiness habits series and next pod we're going to continue with three more relational habits you can do to grow happy healthy relationships god bless and see you next week